Are you looking for new books to read? Do you like finding a new special author? Are you tired of the same old books from the same old authors? Well then, welcome to Discovered Wordsmiths, a podcast where you can hear from fantastic new authors. Join Steven Schneider as he finds and talks to authors you may not know, but authors that have worked hard to write great new books. Hear about their book and why you should check it out. So sit back and listen to today's Discovered Wordsmith. Hello, welcome to episode 134 of Discovered Wordsmiths. It is mid-December. We're very close to Christmas. It's cold, but I don't have snow yet, so hopefully we'll get some soon. Uh, but this is a really great episode. Uh, I've got Tom Holbrook back. He is going to t- give us an idea of some books to get uh, that are very hot or very good books that have come out recently. And these would make great Christmas gifts. But as Tom warns in the in what he talks about in the episode, that you might want to do it pretty quick because publishers are having problems this year and you may get stuck with it not arriving on time, or you may get stuck with some slim pickings if you wait too long. So Tom's back on today, and I encourage everybody, support your local bookstore, Uh, not just Amazon, not just the big chains, but the local guys, the ones that can give you recommendations and tell you what books may fit what you like and what books they have that are going well. It's just something uh, I feel we should all do. That and the library, but you can't give library books as gifts. And then I've got Carolyn. She is uh, she is an author that has written an ecological book. Uh, it's a, a fiction book based on her experience. So uh, that's exciting and different and fun. So I hope everyone checks that out and all the other authors we've had this year and over the last couple of years, th- their books are still available. Just because they were on two years ago uh, doesn't mean that their book isn't out there for you to get as a gift isn't out there for you to read. So check them out. Check out Carolyn's book. <laughs> check out all the authors we've had on the podcast. So I know we've got another episode coming up before Christmas and it's a great one. I'm very excited about, uh, but this time uh, let's listen to Tom and then Carolyn. Thank you. So let's, Man. let's chat. What do we got today? Cause we got, we got a week and a half to Christmas. So we're down to the wire. It's crazy. It's crazy. And I will tell people who are out there that um, the book distributors are having major problems this year. Uh, And they didn't last year. Last year was like clockwork. The year before that with COVID was a mess. And the post office was a mess. So (laughs) I sort of thought those problems were fixed. They are not. So I would encourage you to go buy books today or tomorrow, Friday at the latest, because normally I can order books, you know, and get them in about 36 hours and right now we're working on three to four days uh, wow. which means the people who wake up on tuesday and say hey christmas is this weekend they're gonna have slim pickings uh, <laughs> so, so we're gonna so, get a lot of i know you don't normally read mysteries but i right. thought you'd really enjoy this one <laughs> yeah well what i'm hoping is gift cards but we'll you know we'll see right. uh, but okay. anyway let's i i have a dozen books here to show you they're uh they're all new and they run the gamut. So let's All start right, with let's a couple, go. couple kids' books. Uh, this is called A Very Mercy Christmas. Nice. Uh, by Kate DiCamillo and Chris Van Dusen. Most people who have a kid will have who is learning to read will have come across Mercy Watson before, which is a, a series for five to seven-year-olds about a pig 
named Mercy Watson. Uh, has Chris Van Dusen, who I think I talked about last time as the illustrator. He's one of my favorite illustrators of all time. So, And Kate DiCamillo, the author, is famous for uh, so many books, including um, uh, The Tale of Despero and Flora, Flora and Ulysses and um, the Winn-Dixie book. So this is a winner. It's about Christmas. Um, I wanted to have a Christmas book on the list. So uh, that's Mercy. And uh, one of my other favorites, of course, is Mo Willems, and he's got a new pigeon book out. Uh, it's called The Pigeon Will Ride the Roller Coaster. And uh, the pigeon says, I'm getting emotional. Um, also fabulous with the, you know, the five to seven age range um, or younger to read two, four. It's a good to read two, three or four year olds. But for kids trying to trying to sound out their first words, Mo Willems is, is a go to. Uh, I don't have any middle grade this week, uh, but um, in January, boy, we can sit, we can maybe do just middle grade because there's so much that comes out this time of year that I just don't get to look at. Right. Uh, for um, adults, then let's go with. Uh, I got some fiction and some nonfiction. I want to talk a little bit about the New York Times ten best books of the year. Okay. Uh, so uh, the New York Times Book Review every year comes out. Uh, every week comes out with maybe 20, 30 books that they review. Uh, they're one of the last sort of standard bearers for reviewing book, you know, reviewing books, <laughs> right. mainstream books. And um, every uh, after Thanksgiving, they list the hundred best reviewed books of the year. And then about two weeks after that, they list the 10 best reviewed books of the year. And those books are always in my bestseller lists for Christmas. People pay attention to that list. And for good reason, they're good books. And there's two, um, two books I have here from the fiction list. One is called uh, Trust, and it is by Hernan Diaz, and uh, it's set in the 1920s. See my camera here, 1920s New York. <laughs> so if you like historical fiction, uh, this is good. And also um, Jennifer Egan with The Candy House. I love Jennifer Egan, uh, and this is um, this is sort of about uh, about everything it's what she does but i haven't had a chance to read this even though it came out early in the spring even though i love her and uh, she wrote a visit from the goon squad which won the bullet pulitzer prize uh, about 10 years ago oh. and she also wrote manhattan beach which is another historical novel uh that i really really loved so which is really interesting because a pulitzer prize top bestseller i've never even heard of her you know so that's why it you know, it's so important authors to to have people that like your book and recommend your book. That's how we hear about them. It, and it's because there's a million books published every year. Yeah. Uh, it's just crazy. Here's someone you've heard of, though. Brandon Sanderson. Uh, he's um, He is, I think, reaping the reward of uh, Patrick Rothfuss and J George R. R. Martin not getting books out. Yeah. Right? You, you have you have people who adore these three authors uh when it comes to the fantasy world uh i would say those those three right now sanderson martin and um patrick rothfuss they, they have huge cult followings sanderson's putting out a couple books a year and just going to town and the other two haven't been heard from in a decade so right. uh i say good for him 
more power to him. He he also gives back to the author community a bit, quite a bit. He's got some yeah. online tutorials and he he does talks and all sorts of stuff. So he's out there and he's giving back and yeah. well known. He's, he's earning, getting it. Another person who I think really earns it is uh, Louise Penny, and uh, in the indie bookseller world, everybody knows Louise Penny because she is a huge hit with the over sixty crowd. But she's also really good. I mean, I've read them all. I love them. And I'm not yet of that age. Uh, they are mysteries set in Canada with a police detective. Uh, and they just made an Amazon series uh, based on it because they make a series based on everything. Uh, and it's called Three Pines with Alfred Molina. And I haven't watched it yet because I hate to see my favorite things turned into TV shows. <laughs> Some people love it. I'm not a fan, yeah. but I hear it's very, very good, which I think means more and more people. I mean, she's a bestseller every time, every book. She's a, a book a year, always top 10 New York Times bestseller list. So uh, it's not like she needs more readers, but uh, it's always amazing how uh, the audience for television and movies is exponentially larger than the audience for books. So what I think of as a household name in the book world is often never heard of. Like you've never heard of Jennifer Egan. It's right. and it's not because you're uneducated. It's because there is so much. So and hopefully uh, some of these people that are watching these shows go, I'm going to read that book or I want to check it out. And they do. You know, so yeah, they always do. I mean, last year one of our biggest sellers was Dune. And you think everyone, <laughs> everyone's either read Dune or doesn't want to read Dune, right? <laughs> <laughs> or has read it and doesn't want to read it again. <laughs> yeah, but oh no, uh, huge. Huge. Uh, the problem we're having now is that those series are coming so fast that the sales are just blipping and going away. So uh, it used to be a series like that would come out and you'd have sales on that book for for several months, uh, which happened with Dune. But uh, the the like iRobot, they made a series on Amazon and we had a huge blip for a week and then it was done. <laughs> so everybody wanted Asimov for a week and then they didn't because there was some other show that came out. Right. Some other thing. And so. unfortunately, I think if people are watching the shows and they're not normally readers, Asimov is not an easy thing to get into and read. So yeah. that could have been part of it. <laughs> yeah. Nor nor is Dune, though. So, yeah, that's right. Exactly. I, <laughs> uh, I think Dune, I think Dune maybe just had a larger piece of our sort of public imagination real estate that people had heard of Dune because there had previously been another movie and yeah. Right. Uh and they were like, oh, I meant to read that anyway. I think I'll get it. And then they saw how thick it was. I don't know if they got through it. Uh, two nonfiction books on the New York Times uh, best books of the year, uh, 10 best reviewed books are uh, one is Strangers to Ourselves uh, by Rachel Aviv. And this is, um, she writes uh, she writes portraits in like the Atlantic and the New Yorker and such. So these are long uh, long bios of people, in this case, people with interesting sort of mental illness struggles. Um, and the book starts off with her own, which was she was uh, diagnosed at six with anorexia, perhaps the youngest person ever wow. diagnosed with that. And uh, her essays about what that was like and how it she thinks it affected her growing up and becoming a journalist. So interesting stuff. And this is just the power of, of writing and the power of people's, you know, personal stories and struggles. It's a very uh, stark cover, too, which is yeah. probably something a lot of people would say, oh, don't do that. And I don't but, know if you can see, but the, yeah. the letters are blurring a little bit. So. I like that. Yeah, it's nice. 
and then Under the Skin by Linda Villarosa. This is the subtitle is The Hidden Toll of Racism on American Lives and on the Health of Our Nation. Um, and uh, one of the nice things about, you know, mainstream reviews is that sometimes there's so much on a topic that comes out that you actually really want somebody to guide you. Uh, and so uh, not that you shouldn't read 20 books on racism because we probably all should, but we're not going to because we don't have that time. So having having the New York Times say, yeah, this is one of the 10 best books we've reviewed makes me think, well, if I want to explore this topic, that's going to be that's going to be the book I, I grab. So nice. I like that's that. Called, that's called Under the Skin. Um, and then the last book I have for you today uh, is one um, it's called Good Inside. And uh, I heard Becky Kennedy, Dr. Becky Kennedy on a podcast. She was on Glennon Doyle's podcast, but she's been other places. And she is an expert on uh, she's a psychologist who is an expert on parenting. Uh, and so this is a this is a parenting book of which, again, there are thousands. But uh, I personally was really struck by uh, by her methods, which are all about uh, sort of reframing conflict uh, and with children, you know, between parents and children and wrecking, trying to recognize not what the what what the specific problem is, but what the underlying fear is and then changing the way you approach talking with the with the kids nice. uh, my wife has been using it so much that my 12 year old was like you got to stop reading those books i know i know that's from the book <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> i know that's from the book so uh yeah but it, it, the subtitle is a guide to becoming the parent you want to be and uh i'm assuming uh if a lot of your uh, listeners are our age that they have kids and it's never easy and I just thought this was a new and sort of unique perspective. So right. uh, that is, uh, that's what I have for you today. Great. And um, I hope you'll have me back uh, yes. in January when it's dead and I can talk all day. Nice. Uh, okay. We'll do that. We'll dead. plan on it. I love it. All right. Thanks, Tom. Sure. Have a great, have a great time. holiday, have, everybody. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas and all that. Thanks. Bye. Hit record when we came in new. It must not have taken it. So... Let's back up. I want to hear all this again. I don't want to miss anything. So that was a dry run practice. It's the night before your big speech. I apologize. I'm glad I looked up and saw that it wasn't recording before we got all the way through everything. Um, <laughs> so am I. Yeah. Once again, this is like deja vu for me. I'm welcoming Carolyn to the Discover Word Smith podcast, but I'm the only one that knows you at the moment. So let's back up since we're now recording and Tell everybody a little bit about you and where you live and some things you like to do. Remember, okay. remember we, we talked about that, so you should know the answer. My memory's not that bad. <laughs> okay, I'm from Maryland. I'm from Delaware originally, but I live in Maryland. What you behind me is not my house. It's my father-in-law's house. I'm staying with him this week, but he's in Maryland too. And I don't know if you can see it. We've got this gorgeous day outside. That's the Miles River. Um, Chesapeake Bay is that way. Nice. Uh, and my background, let's see. I like to say I went to a bunch of small, weird schools, mostly in New England. I have a degree in conservation biology. I'm a serious science geek, and I've been, I've been approaching writing as a professional with that kind of attitude since I was maybe 12 years old. 
I didn't I didn't start publishing until I was in my 20s, but I've been obsessed with writing for a very long time. Nice. What I do when I'm not writing. Do I do anything when I'm not writing? I like to hike. I like to paddle. I have a couple of beagles. They're really cute. I like to cook. You like to cook. We were talking about Thanksgiving and how we were getting ready for Thanksgiving coming up. And tell us again what you said about what you think of the Thanksgiving holiday. Yes. I said, uh, in my opinion, Thanksgiving is a cooking holiday. And when you're done cooking, you invite people over to eat the food so it doesn't go to waste. Yep. I totally agree. Now, I'm, I've got a couple new interesting recipes I've been trying. I like to make Aztec hot cocoa. At Thanksgiving, which is something different. I know other people have various things. I, I when when I started cooking the turkey, it, my father wasn't very happy because he always wanted to cook the turkey. But to be truthful, his turkey was always a little dry, and I thought mine was much more moist. We'll just leave that where it's at. Now your book, because you've got conservation background, your book is based on that idea. Tell us why you wanted to write this book and a little bit about what the book's about. Okay. There are some things about our world that bug me. Environmental degradation, violence, bigotry, all sorts of things. And on a good day, I can focus on productive and constructive ways to pursue my ideals and all of that. And on a bad day, I just want it all to go away and we can start over. So about 10 years ago, I started basically trying to cheer myself up with a lot of daydreaming about option B. Civilization is going to collapse. Something else is going to happen afterwards. It's just going to be better. And But I, I got uncomfortable with that because I was daydreaming about a scenario that if it actually happened would involve a huge amount of suffering and loss and just awful stuff. Really as a way to keep myself honest. I started thinking about what it would be like to actually live through. Civilization collapses, the thing that comes next. It's not like Mad Max world. It's like nice, not literally a utopia. It's believable. They're, but nice. A lot of things that bug me, they're just not an issue anymore substantially. But what's it like to get there? What's it like to live through that kind of change almost a dystopian world that's going to something better rather than just all dystopian i think it's really there's a dystopian phase yes but i like to refer to this book as post-apocalyptic optimism there you go i like that yes yeah so the basic setup it's 20 years after the collapse by the way i the thing that i used to make the collapse happen was a um, global pandemic. And I published the book in summer of 2019. So then when COVID happened, that was weird. So it's all your fault. <laughs> Quite possibly. So it's 20 years after the collapse. And there's this young woman, Elsie. She was a cop, but she's retraining to be an environmental educator, which is really a growth industry, by the way, in her world, because Everybody wants to know how to rebuild society and not cause all these environmental problems. She's in training and she starts having these basically memory flashbacks of a forest 
that she played in as a kid. And that's all that she remembers of her childhood. She doesn't even know where it was, what her childhood home was. Which is, you just not, imagine not knowing where you're from. So her professional mentor, Andy, uh, who's older, he was an adult when the collapse happened. He's an ecologist. So he says, this forest that you're remembering, it couldn't have just grown anywhere. There are particular places where different kinds of forests can go. So we're going to see how much of this forest you can remember and see if we can figure out where your home was. So then the story becomes this kind of detective story slash road trip through post-apocalyptic New England. Okay. So how, what, what genre, you, you mentioned dystopian optimism. Would you say people that like dystopian would like it? Or do you think it's something that maybe they wouldn't because they're all about Mad Max, the world's destroyed and we're killing each other. Is there a particular genre or type of person that may like this? Maybe a book or something that's similar to give people an idea? A group of, the one group of, and I think anybody can enjoy my book. But if I have to imagine center of the target audience, yeah, science geeks. Uh, okay. Yeah, I'm not a huge dystopia fan, so I don't know what people who are fans of that genre would think of this. One of the one of the reviews on my Amazon list for this book, I th- thought it was interesting. They said, "I don't usually like dystopias, but I did like this." Because it's not a dystopia. I don't understand. That, that, anyway. You should use that. That's perfect. It, like you said, dystopian optimism. So that's something new, different. That that could definitely appeal to certain types of people. Yeah. I think that's it's great. Actually, I've discovered there actually, is, and I didn't know this when I was writing, but there is actually a teeny tiny new genre that it fits into pretty well. And that's solar punk. And that's okay. fiction about what a sustainable society would actually look like. Because in, in my book, it's there's no more fossil fuels. So the way the economy works is completely different. The way technology works is completely different. You get these weird mashups where people are getting around in ox carts and things. And there's also a character who has a robotic exoskeleton. I like that um, because things like Firefly and even Star Wars have that, where it's a mash of some old tech, like the carts and then new tech blasters and robots, but it's melted almost steampunkish a little bit. Almost. Yeah. You use what works and you stop using what doesn't work. And then you end up in this Mix, it makes people go, huh? Let's see, books that are most similar. The closest one I can think of, and it's by no means new anymore, Flight Behavior by Barbara Kingsolver. Yeah, that was about scientists, about ecologists. And the framing of that book is certain ecological problems related to climate change. But at the same time, it really gets into the personal issues that the characters are having and it uses it uses the science to develop the interpersonal themes in a way that's similar to what I'm trying to do. Okay. So if people have read that book, 
they might be interested in this. And I love the solar punk genre. That's a new one. I haven't heard of that one yet. Not that I've heard of all of them. And you said the book came out in 2019. Do you have plans for a follow-up or are you doing another book standalone or what's coming up for you? I'm working on a sequel. In fact, the, the computer that I'm using for this interview, the sequel is actually up on another window in the same. <laughs> Okay. You're sharing a screen right now with the, not that I could see both, that would be distracting. But right. Yeah. The next one, oh, it's been a trip. I set out to write standard sequel. Okay, it's 15 years later. What are the characters doing now? And it didn't work. And I couldn't make it work. And I tried for years to make it work and it didn't work. And so then I tried this and I tried that and I tried this other thing and then I okay whatever I'm going to throw out half the book and see what's left okay got it and okay now this is too short so what if I add this other stuff that I have kicking around so I just put all this in here it's turning into a collection of novellas and short stories that are all one of them is the what the characters are up to 15 years later but then there are all of these other stories that are set different parts of the same world and characters. bit character in the one story will be a protagonist in the other. And it's really coming together now. I'm in, I'm in revisions and fingers crossed. I hope, it, I hope to come out with it sometime next year. Okay, good. Great. Now, do you have a website and where's your book available now? My book is available lots of places. Amazon, you can't really, you can't really get away without Amazon. It's on my publisher's website, my publisher's Saltwater Media. You go look at their website, they have a storefront, it's on. Every online seller that I've looked at has it on their list. I can search my book and it comes up. If you're looking for my work, by the way, the thing to do is to use my name as a search term. Because other people can use titles that are similar to mine, but nobody has my name but me. I'm the yeah. only Carolina Lanthus in the world. I'm not even kidding. Use my name as a search term. My work comes up as easy as that. That's great because when I moved to California, I kept getting calls that I needed to pay for my Porsche. Because there was another <laughs> Steven Schneider that had a Porsche he wasn't paying for. I'm like, here's where I live. If you find a Porsche, you can have it. I don't care. <laughs> Come and tow it. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, I don't, I don't have those props. I don't have a Porsche either, but yeah. I do have a website. Okay. It's newsfromcaroline.wordpress.com. And I have a blog there where I talk about mostly what's ever on my mind writing-wise. But when I have news, like a new book coming out or something, I do put it on that blog. And each of my books has its own page on the website and that sort of thing. Okay, great. And if you had a choice, someone came up to you, would you rather see your book turned into a movie or a TV show? Movie. Movie? Why is that? And who would play the parts? You thought about that? I have. Movie because I've watched enough movies that they influence how I think. And there's a movie in my head of this book. There isn't a TV show. Okay. God. I, I thought about it. I daydream. Okay, what if the movie producers come? What am I going to tell them? I don't think it'll happen. I can hope. Let's see. Who would play who? I used to think Russell Crowe 
for Andy, but I'm leaning more towards Daniel Craig. Nice. Although, who is the man who played the lead in Shawshank Redemption? Tim Robbins. Tim Robbins. Yeah, I I haven't heard hide nor hair of him in years. I don't even know if he's still working. But yeah, he could do it too. Because Andy is this sort of mysterious and standoffish and weirdly capable person. (laughs) You don't know what he's thinking, but he can do anything. Got it. Okay. As for Elsie, I don't know who would play her, but because it would have to be somebody young. It would have to be uh, would have to be someone of color. Elsie is a black Latina, and I don't see enough current movies to know to know who fits in that category these days. I've seen movies who have people who where characters are similar to her, their personalities, and they can do it. Movie Bullworth came out like twenty years ago, twenty twenty five years ago. I don't remember the name of the woman who played the female lead. But yeah. she could have done it. Okay. Only now she's too way too old for the part. Yeah, yeah, you got to watch that. <laughs> okay, let me ask you this, Carolyn. What are some of your favorite books and authors that you've read through your life? Oh, there are so many. I could start listing favorite books today and not finish until next week. Yeah, I know the problem. What's your top top two or three? A Wizard of Earthsea by Ursula K. Le Guin. Nice. Excellent. Whenever I run into a problem when I'm writing, it's always, okay, how would Le Guin do this? Overstory. I forget the name of the author. Came out a couple of years ago. Yeah, that one doesn't ring a bell. Uh, look it up. It's it's possibly the best constructed book I've ever read. If I describe how it's structured and what's it about, you'd think, oh, there's no way that could work. That would just be too hard to write. And he pulls it off. It's nice. just amazing. Yeah, books like that. I really liked, oh, now I'm having a brain fart. The one writer who everybody who writes wants to be like, Ernest Hemingway. Okay. Eh. For Whom the Bell Tolls. Oh, okay. I know it's cliched Hemingway, but the thing is, my natural proclivity and what I started out doing when I first started writing was all of these words. <laughs> just curling huge sentences, just melodrama and all this stuff. And I read his work and I thought, oh, okay. <laughs> Let's pare this down a little bit. Worked a lot better. I don't just read fiction, though. I, so I read this year, there was a teeny little, basically mini textbook on the physics of ocean waves. Wow. It's just a lot of fun to read. <laughs> Another one on mollusks. Like, all mollusks, everywhere. Introduction to that was awesome. My friend Tom Wessels, you should read his book. Not fiction, it's popular ecology, just, but just... Go read his books. You'll be glad you did. (laughs) All right. Okay. Where you live there, do you have a favorite bookstore you like to go to? Not really. Okay. Is there a... Favorite bookstores in other places, though. Okay. What's one of your favorite bookstore elsewhere? The Naturalist Notebook on Mount Desert Island in Seal Harbor. Yeah. Town Seal Harbor and Mount Desert Island. Teeny little town. He's, you'll miss it. And yeah, it's... Their main street is basically one street with three buildings on one side. And on there, a restaurant that serves the best lobster rolls on the island. And this bookstore, they have a location in Northwest Harbor too, but the Seal Harbor 
locations better. It's bigger. And it's, the place is run by a couple of science teachers and art teachers, and they basically got every book that they like, and they put it in this old house. And there are science books ranging from children's books to popular science to four dichotomous keys that have everything you ever wanted to know about sedges or whatever, and art supplies and science toys and these miniature oh, cool. little museum-type things, like a display this big and you look into it and there's like the solar system or the human heart or time or whatever it is. And it just, every time I go to Mount Desert Island, it's a rule. I have to go to that bookstore and spend a couple of hours just wandering <laughs> around and then right. I spend way too much money. And and we get lobster rolls. Nice. Yeah, we actually went through Mount Desert Island last time I was in Maine. So I know the area. I'll have to look for it next time I go. Maybe next summer we're going. So, nice. All right, Carolyn, before we talk about some author stuff, if someone said, hey, I heard you wrote a book, why should I get your book and read it? What would you tell them? Because you'll like it. Okay, there you go. Boom, done. Your blurb for your advertising. I, there's... if. There's a lot of cool science in it. There's some good perspectives. I've had somebody say that it's how I talk about sustainability issues and the very real risks that we face. You know, a global pandemic shutting down civilization is really unlikely. It's not going to be that. It probably won't be that. But something could. We are vulnerable in certain specific ways. That part is very real. And I've had people come up to me and say that reading my book got them thinking about that sort of thing. And I uh, had one person say that he changed his life, which was interesting. <laughs> I hope he changed it for the better. But, but at the end of the day, you're gonna, it's a novel. And you're going to read a novel because you like it. And you're going to listen. Good. Nice. Okay. If anyone asks, now you got your answer. So I appreciate you sharing the book with us, telling us about it. And we're going to move on to some author stuff. Hi, if you enjoyed this episode of Discovered Wordsmiths, please support the author. Go to their website, go to Amazon, look them up, get the book. And if you click on the link that I have in the show notes, you'll also help support the podcast so I can keep the hosting and all the software I use and uh, keep it running for, to help more authors. When I am recording this, we've got over 100 episodes, lots of authors. Go to the website, discoveredwordsmiths.com. Check it out. There's a lot of great authors, probably in some genre that you love. See what they have. Check out their books. That's what the point of the podcast is for. So people can discover new authors, find some new books they love, support the authors so they can continue writing. So please support them. And if you do like the podcast, if you've been thinking of podcasting or you're a writer, I've got some links also at the website. Click on those if you're interested in any of the software or services that I talk about. Everything that I have there is something I use, so I've got an affiliate link. Again, it's a little bit, if everyone clicked on those, if they were going to get it anyway, it helps keep the podcast going. So let's all help each other out, discover more authors to read. Thank you for listening to Discovered Wordsmiths. Come back next week and listen to another author discuss the road they've traveled and maybe sometime in the near future, it might be you.